0: Hi, this is Paul. The uh, based camp Malcolm and Simone Collins put out a video today about their religious views, and it's kind of a wild ride. They are, some people had said in the comments, that there's something like Calvinist Mormon Muslims in some ways. You know, I haven't finished watching the whole video, but it, it's very autodidactic. It's 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 very very interesting. It's very I, I could very easily do a commentary on the whole video, and I might. The sensibilities as well. He's wearing the ugly ugly Christmas sweater. They both got the thick rim glasses. She's looking like something that comes out of the Handmaid's Tale, which is if if you you know what's so interesting about the handmaid's tale i picked this up from louise perry i didn't know much of anything about the book apparently it was written about islam and then of course it was sort of rolled out a couple of years ago with the with the with the constant so theocracy is has been the boogeyman of the american political left for a very long time that was what sort of what was raised with George W. Bush, I think I think James Lindsay basically has it right. That that's that's sort of the the, the now dread Christian nationalism. That whole anxiety is just a, a re a refashioning of the theocracy uh, panics that happened during George W. Bush. So and what was funny was that that happened during George W. Bush. Then of course 9/11 comes around, and George W. Bush is trying to really. First, he talks about the axis of evil, but then everybody's sort of nervous about diversity and multiculturalism and Islam, and so George W. Bush sort of kind of softens that and a religion of peace and um, all of this stuff. So it's, it's got a super interesting legacy. Now, part of what's interesting about them, we talked about it last week in the Friday live stream, Sam brought it up, but I was thinking about it when Sam brought it up. It was the Ross Douthat observation that why doesn't Marianne Williamson, why doesn't she have a church? what she has is a following and so what's interesting about these two is they're they're sort of mormon muslim calvinish but they're also hyper individualistic which which to me really is really a problem for their overall their overall agenda because the truth is you need a far larger community if in fact you want to save your children and your children's children and your descendants from whatever you're trying to save them from. Because the, the main thing that won't keep you keep you alive in the future it isn't really a bunker. It's a city. And in order for a religion to actually have do the kind of work they want it to do, you're going to need something far larger than your nuclear family or sort of going on down from there. But but he made a few comments about religion and consciousness. This gets into the cog-sci. I mean, we've been talking about this since Jonathan Haidt and the, elef- and the elephant and the rider. So the am going to play a little bit here, and then we're going to take it in
1: a different direction. No understandings of time, timelines, everything like that. So I am things like consciousness. If you watch our episode on sentience, we don't think that there's strong evidence that humans are sentient. But that's like a completely different topic that we can... Well, I, I can get to it briefly here. So if you look at studies on human sentience, what we find is that if you do something like stimulate a portion of a human's brain, which is meant to like lift a finger or something like that, they'll be like, oh, I felt like lifting that finger. This is done during open brain surgeries. Or if you give a split brain patient like a Rubik's Cube, right? And you can communicate with only one half of their brain because their brain actually at the corpus callosum is split. And so you cover an eyeball and you're communicating with the opposite side of the brain. And you're like, why did you pick up that Rubik's cube. But secretly on the other side of the eye, you had given them a note telling them to pick up that Rubik's cube. They'll say, well, oh, I've always felt like solving a Rubik's cube. If you do an experiment where you give a person, you ask their like opinion on something political, or you ask their opinion on like, which of these women did you find most attractive? And then you like subtly change which opinion through sleight of hand they chose. And then you're like, why did you choose this opinion? It wasn't the opinion they chose. They'll come up with a complicated reason why they chose that opinion. If you look in fMRIs at like, oh, well, how people make decisions, it appears that the decision is actually made quite a bit before they're conscious of it so so, so these kind of arguments have been in brain books for quite a few years now
0: um, it's the it's the knowledge that we tend again it's the elephant and the rider it's the, it, the the assumption is that we tend to imagine we are we are driving our lives that we that we have the steering wheel of our of our agency and that we're moving it along and that we're just making Decisions out of rationality. Again, this is this is part of the reason of the fall of the House of New Atheism because it's all premised on sort of this upfront rationality connecting everything, and then I choose and then we go. And so, you know, part of this was sort of part of the destruction of the house of new A- of new of new um new atheism. He talks about this super interesting people. They're super interesting people. Um he talks about you know, having, you know, flirted with new atheism for a while. The problem, of course, is that you wind up in sort of Sam Harris land. Where And he's kind of there, too, where he's got these ideas of determinism. And so Sam Harris has this weird thing where, on one hand, everything's deterministic, that the self is an illusion. So Sam Harris tries to incorporate all of these things in terms of that's who human beings are. But part of the dissonance you have when you listen to Sam Harris is that's who who human beings are, but I'm going to admonish you to all be rational. And it's sort of like saying... Dogs are the kind of creatures that walk in all four and poop in the backyard and lick their balls. But I want you to go out and drive a car. Well, well, dogs don't drive cars. They walk in the backyard, poop in the backyard, and lick their balls. Uh, They don't have opposable thumbs. They can't really manage the pedals. And they're surely not going to figure out how how to deal with the whole sequence that happens here. Well, how on earth do we learn to drive a car when we're like a dog? Well, that's a very good question. How do we learn to drive like a car when we're functioning like a dog? Well, we're just more sophisticated, yada yada yada. But there's this internal contradiction, of course, where you've got underneath you've got this 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 determinism, this deep skepticism with respect to the self and the agency of the self, and yet all of these admonitions to the other riders on the elephant to be this way or do this thing. Now. This sort of lands in the place where we're, we're kind of in the middle. We realize we have a degree of agency um, through force of will. And, of course, again, we can bring in Jonathan Haidt. You don't really, the, the rider doesn't really tell the elephant what to do. The elephant is sort of controlling thing, But if you, what the rider does subtly is sort of train the elephant on the way and change the path. And and I think that's what's behind so many of the wisdom channels on the internet. All of these are sort of hacks, you know. If you want to get up in the morning, make sure you have bright light. Um, I got somebody was talking about Huberman, so so Wisdom Tube has sort of taken this in, and in many ways they too have sort of subsumed this knowledge within their within their vision of the world, which is why they are working on religion, because what they understand is that. If you really want to train the elephant, you have to change the path. And the path is religion. So there you're sort of trying to to use whatever grasp we have on agency in order to shape the road, in order to shape our environment, in order to shape the other people in our environment, in order to shape us, in order to have agency that extends into the future, and in their case, and in just about every other case, in order to save the world. Now some of you real old-timers here might remember Tim, Tim York. I've had a couple of conversations with Tim. This one, the original one from 4 years ago, where he talked about his fascination with the violin and how that changed his his life and Joe Rogan and you know, he's been he's been getting a he's been getting a degree and so and, and he actually sent me one of his violins, which I've got right here, which I should probably uh right now the church could probably use me playing it and maybe Maybe I'll do it in these weeks that I don't have something before church so I can get a little practice in. But I grew up um, I grew up playing the violin. I started playing the violin in first grade, and I learned the violin with Suzuki method. So then growing up playing the violin, um, here's myself and my sister and my older sister playing the flute, and my mother playing something on the piano, and the friend of the family playing the cello. So you you play in the house. Um, you play for church. Here's a obviously a, a Christmas pageant. Here you have the shepherds, and my sister is playing the piano, and I'm playing the violin. And one of the things that we did was um, it was it was called strolling strings. And here we are in a gym floor, and we we, we did it was almost almost kind of a marching band thing where you'd um, you'd walk around with the violin and you'd play while you'd walk and. And, and you would do these things. Now, now the other day, YouTube, the alg- algorithm served up for me Lindsay Sterling. And I had no idea who Lindsay Sterling was. And um, so she plays the violin. And this one, I actually I, f- I found it because I was, I was listening to this, I was listening to this song. and it wasn't this recording of this song, but um, I was curious because I, I'd listened to it on YouTube music. And then I thought, oh, I wonder if there's a video about it. And then this video came up, and it was a it was a western where Lindsay Sterling is a barmaid, and these bad guys come to town, and they play the guitar, and they're gonna rob the bank, and so they come out with the guitar, and the guitars are like these sound weapons, and they go out. I'm not gonna play the video because I'm sure. The algorithm would not like it and then all kinds of weird things would happen i i don't want to deal with that and so then she she's you know she and the other girls in the bar they're you know they're, they're having a rough time but she's got her violin and so she's gonna come out and she's gonna bring order to the town and uh you know you have this western showdown in the street the the guitar versus the violin, and there's a lot of cool dancing, and then she and her friends out music and out dance and basically send the ruffians out of town, sends them running. Um, It's a, I I, I love this video, I actually, I love this video, it's so much fun, and then she and her friends are the heroes of the town, and they're all celebrating and, and dancing, and 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 he's foiled, and now he's angry. So he's going to come in with, he's going to come in like she's being celebrated, and so now he's going to come in, and he's going to come in with technology. And he's, I was just talking to Rick about musical equipment. So Rick, yeah, yeah, this is this is right on that little picture that you sent me about. Um, Rick is basically setting this up in his. Uh, in his very small abode. But now they've got this massive technology behind them. and now they're, you know the, the, the guitar is outdoing the violin and sends them sprawling. And so now that the the town defenders are gone, because of the big instrument, they can rob the bank. But just at the end, she gets her violin back. And once she's got her violin back, then she can take control of the technology, and she can—she and her friends can once again send the bad guys uh, reeling. And off they go. And 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 what's interesting is that the girls ride off into the sunset. The the boys go to jail. The girls ride off into the sunset. It's a it's a great video. I'll put I'll I'll put links to all the videos down below. So. I had no idea anybody was doing this with violins. So then of course, because I listen to YouTube music and it knows the music I listen to, then it serves up this video of Skyrim. It's like, oh, I know this song. i listened to this song before and it's kind of a cool song. Now, I guess the song comes from a video game. So I did a little bit of digging, but some of you people who know video games will know way, way more about this than I do but sort of the same shtick, but this is sort of like in a fantasy genre, and she's sort of this cute little elf pixie who's got her violin strolling around, and and Peter Hollins, who who also does some interesting music. I love his um, Baba Yetu from The Civilization, the only computer game that I play. I uh, don't particularly play it well, and and this is sort of a a story of, again, it's kind of a it's kind of a man woman rivalry and she's got her violin and he's got his voice and they're sort of battling via music. And, you know, first of first they're just kind of parallel to each other. And then at some point they meet and they're going to have this battle and he's got a sword and she's got her violin and now he's fighting with the sword and she's fighting with her bow. Now as a kid, um, you know, we have these we have these musical instruments that are not the most robust things in the world. And of course, all the little boys have these bows. And the things that you do immediately as a boy, if you have something that's a bow that's like a sword, is you start having sword fights with your bows, getting yelled at by the violin teacher. And Parents say, you know, that's an expensive thing. Don't break that bow. We don't want we don't want to have to buy another one. But you know, this 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 thing was just like fanta. This would have been. Gosh, if they had if they had, had this when I was a kid, boy, I would have been I would have been all over this in junior high. These videos get massive views. She has thirteen point eight million subs. This video was posted nine years ago. It has three hundred ninety million views. This Skyrim video was posted eleven years ago. It only has a mere ninety million views. And you know, I mean. Th- I mean, it's not like these are old videos and she hasn't been doing anything. I and mean, she goes on concerts. Uh, she's a big deal. Um, you know, quite clearly, this is, a, this is a very interesting career. Now, in the corner, we've been talking a little bit about Taylor Swift and Barbie and some of these things. But then to find her, well, this is, you know, kind of fantasy and violin. I mean, this is, this is much more sort of up my alley than Taylor Swift. And then because I'm watching some of this stuff, I'll go keep serving up new things to me. And it serves me up this one, Moon Trance. And here you've got these three friends. They're coming out of a movie theater. And they're talking. And and they are walk by a haunted that They walk by a scary cemetery. And, well, where are they? Here they are. Zombies. Zombies are out. And what's she gonna do? Her friends become zombies, and then she she finds a she finds a grave that. Let's see, it's you know, got to kind of inch forward with this thing. Finds the grave of Vincent Cochran. Thought it a sin not to be buried with his violin. So again, she's gonna get her. It's interesting because her music is her weapon. Her music is her power. Her music is her agency. Got to be careful here because Algo can be really subtle and picky with this stuff. So so of course she, she gets her violin out and now with the violin she is able to ward off the zombies. But then in a sense she's not only able to ward them off, now she's able to control the zombies. And so then they have. And it's a it's a cool video. I really like the video. And now they're dancing and the funny thing is I was watching this and I thought, "Oh, I've seen this all before." And then the, the video ends and, you know, it's her friends and it's it's sort of back into the real world, but then of course, just at the end, you know, Good old Vincent Cochran lifts his hands up because he got to get the bow back because you know thought it'd be a sin not to be buried with his violin. And then there's another tombstone scene that comes up. It's a great, it's a great little video. But what's interesting is that what night was it? Uh, today's Tuesday. It was Sunday night. Showtime. I watched. I watched a special on Showtime, which had the 40th. Showtime is now in part of Paramount Plus. Watched the 40th anniversary of Showtime on Michael Al Michael Jackson's um, video Thriller, and it's a it's a it was a fascinating show, especially after talking about all the Taylor Swift stuff, all the music stuff, and and the the show really kind of helped me see what a formative influence Michael Jackson was for a lot of things. If you look at boy bands since then, the the the, the show has a nice little montage where one thing after another has been sort of following um the influence of Michael Jackson and all the different you know everything that was sort of behind what he did and how the thriller album just that was happening at the time that that MTV was coming forward and and all of those all of those issues it was it was a great documentary and I realized at that point so my my wife grew up in a house that had cable TV, and my wife's a little younger than me. By the time MTV really came out, I was already in college, and once I was in college, I wasn't really watching TV. We didn't have cable TV in the dorms. I don't even know if we had cable TV in the dorms. Nobody watched TV. To watch TV in college, you were a loser because there were so, much, so many other better things to do. We were playing foosball. We are going out with our friends. We are doing all the college things. So I completely missed the MTV thing. But of course, Thriller and the music that was big on campus. So I was watching this documentary with my wife, and some of my kids were there. And so I, I mentioned I've, I've never seen the whole Thriller video, and and it was it was quite remarkable how this was a Michael Jackson wanted better quality videos on MTV, and so we set out to make a short film and got David Landis to direct it and. It was was quite an interesting thing. David Landis, I think I got his name right, had done uh, Werewolf in London, and Michael Jackson was sort of fascinated by, at that point, sort of the technical thing of someone becoming a werewolf. And so he wanted this. He wanted this in his video. Now, if you know anything about Michael Jackson, you know he came from a very, I believe they were Jehovah's Witnesses. You'll correct me in the comment section or at least verify it. Guy I'd grown up watching the Jackson 5 because I'm growing up in this racial reconciliation church. And so, of course, the Osmonds are sort of the Mormons over there. But the Jackson 5, they were way cooler. And But Papa Jackson always sort of wanted to not let Michael get too far, wanted to make sure the whole family had a piece of the pie. And they were also, you know, religiously conservative people. So the, the video starts out with this eclaimer. Disclaimer, due to my strong personal convictions, I wish to stress that this film in no way endorses a belief in the occult. Now, Michael Jackson's thriller. The movie starts out, again, now this is made in the 80s. The movie starts out, one of the things helpful things to remember, I'm kind of taking a page from Burn Powers here. One of the helpful things to remember is that the 80s were fascinated with the 50s. Uh, happy Days, uh, American Graffiti, the fifties were a very big deal in the 1980s because in some ways, culturally the Reagan years were sort of a look back to the golden age of the fifties. You had the rise of the moral majority. The eighties were kind of a fifties redux. Now, this was a very interesting this was a very interesting thing to watch now, sort of looking back on it, because now of course I remember the 80s. 80s were I graduated from high school in 81, so I was in college during the 80s, so the 80s were pretty formative years for me. It's also the case that when you look back on the 50s, now here you have African Americans. Now, if you come to Living Stones, I can point you to some African Americans who uh, who, who themselves were teenagers in the 50s, some of them in Jim Crow America, some of them in Sacramento. And, you know, they've got a lot of vivid stories about, hmm, to be African-American in the 1950s, you re- you sort of participated in sort of these 1950s tropes. And so it's very interesting that Michael Jackson begins this. Well, actually, as you'll figure out in a minute or two, they're watching a movie and they're watching a movie. They're sitting in a theater in the '80s, and they're watching a movie in the '50s. And you've got African Americans sort of playing out these tropes from the '50s. Of course, the '50s were a big uh, time for horror movies, and so you've got you've got these kinds of you've got these kinds of tropes going on. Now you've also got you know she's innocent. This is a time where the Christian assumptions about sexual morality were very much in in power and so her her job is to allure the man but to stay virginal and innocent and pure but to so she's playing this very subtle feminine game of holding his attention but not giving in to what he really wants and that tension of course is supposed to lead to A promise and so he asks if if you'll be my girl and so they're they're going through all these 50s tropes but of course there's the sexual tension there where she's got his attention and and he's now it's interesting that the the movie he what he wanted to do in this movie was american werewolf in london he wanted to be a wolf now what's the difference between a zombie and a wolf well a wolf devours little red riding hood a wolf has a fair amount of 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 sexual energy and that tension so you know this this whole scene is about you can you can go back to the 80s and think about meatloaf paradise by the dashboard light if you've never heard that song you can find a video for that too so so here's this 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 drama playing out which on the on the surface is just a nice date but there but he the car he runs out of gas, and the car won't go. And she thinks, you know, oh, this is, of course, this is the this is the ritual by which you know we have paradise by the dashboard light, or not, or we we engage in the tension and the in the sexual play. Now, I mean, she is she's just beautiful, uh, but Michael Jackson, of course. Well, it turns out that the car really is dead, and. Um, He's gonna say, Well, I'm not like all the other boys. Well, well, what is that? Well, that's sort of like, you know, I'm special and you can trust me and you're safe in my hands. And of course the 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 dramatic tension is you want the man who's strong and can protect, you want that masculine. Now, in the nineteen eighties, me and my friends didn't really have a lot of um I'll say this. We did we didn't we we didn't we didn't really look at Michael Jackson as a man's man. And actually in the commentary they talked, you know, this dude is 90 pounds soaking wet. The guy can dance. I mean, he's, he's in many ways a, a tremendous athlete when you look at, you know, what he did with dance. But as sort of college men at this age, we'd look at something and just say, a girl that hot should not be with a guy like this. Um, you know, he should, be a, he should be a big guy. He should be a strong guy. He should be a masculine guy. But turns out that, well, he's holding a secret and he, he asked her to be his girl. Again, this is 1950s, and of course in the 80s, the 50s had this tension because already sort of the the sexual, the, the sexual ethic was slipping. And so you could, you could sort of point to it, but of course in the 50s, there was plenty of cheating it too. Um, but so, so the eighties looking at the fifties was, was, was really a different thing. So, uh, would you be my girl? And he gives her a ring and yeah, she's thrilled. And then, you know, I, I've got to tell you now, I'm not like all the other boys and he's kind of nervous and the moon's out. Now it's, it talks about the documentary, how werewolf didn't really work very well for Michael. So they turned him into a cat, which I think was very interesting too, because, you know, if you go back to Mary Cohen, you know, boys are dogs and girls are cats. Um, There's something very masculine about a dog, and there's a little something a little feminine about cats. And so he kind of turns into something like a were cat. And so you, you have a sense again of the. Because this is, you know, this is sort of how it plays out in the in the dr- in the 1950s drive-through in the back seat, and of course, if you're watching Happy Days or or American Graffiti, this is sort of the shtick. Looking back on the 50s from the 80s, where you know he's a nice guy, yada yada yada. She's pure and demure, yada yada yada. But when it comes to the time alone, he's gonna he's gonna become hungry like the wolf. You can look at that other another song in the 80s. And you know, then he's going to want to devour her. And, you know, her job. Now again, he's he's a cat, so and she runs away because that's that's the role she needs to play. And so he finally, you know, she finally stumbles. And well, we're not to she stumbles. Come on, just back a little bit further. There we go. She runs. Um so she falls. And he's ready to pounce, but then we discover we're actually watching a movie in the 1980s. And this is where you get that, you know, you get that gif of Michael Jackson eating the popcorn. That's from this video. And she doesn't like it. She's scared or she acts scared. And and he's saying he's liking it. He's eating it up. He doesn't want to leave. She's tired of it. So up she goes. Oh shoot, well, you know. It's, it's, the movie <laughs> the going into the movie really isn't about the movie so i better follow her out of the theater and they get in front it's vincent price and of course if if you're my age, I grew up after school. You'd come home, Channel Five, New York City area. They'd have Creature Feature, which was on like four thirty or four o'clock or something like that in the afternoon, and I played all of these campy horror movies from the fifties. That's where I learned about Godzilla and the the you know the the creature from the Black Lagoon and all of this stuff and Vincent Price, the the Pit and the Pendulum, all of that stuff. So you know, it's a great kind of peace with all of these things of course burn power could fill this out a lot better than i could um and so they get out of the movie and so now suddenly the same thing that happened in the 50s well now we're in the 80s and well he's going to walk her home and then of course um he starts to sing and it again it's it's just it's just really well done and and the music's going and um and then of course they're walking home, but they walk past. You know, you wonder what, well, where on earth they're going to find the. They're, they're going through this industrial park, and they're flirting with each other. And so now you've got again, you've got the sexual tension, but this is now the sexual tension of the '80s, not the '50s. I mean, she's dressed. Uh, she's she's in some denim leopard print uh, kale, um, and you know she's got red high heels on. So this is the '80s, not the '50s, and so she's. You know, the fact that, well, they're, you know, if it weren't Michael Jackson. um, And then they keep going, a lot of tension, things are getting better, and then they go by a cemetery. And I'll tell you what was fascinating to me was that the Lindsey Sterling cemetery scene was... You know basically the very very similar thing you take the two you could take the two videos and look at them side by side and say oh yeah Lindsay Sterling and her people are definitely pointing to thriller in this Now, now it's also important to notice that we're talking about zombies zombies you say well Zombies are, are the monster responsible for this little corner because it was John Vervecki's work on zombies that led Jonathan Peugeot to find John Vervecki. And, and zombies are all about the
2: meaning crisis. Meaning in life, not meaning of life, which I'll make a distinction in a few minutes. But meaning in life or a related uh, psychological literature, especially the work of Kelly Allen, The Sense of Belonging you don't have meaning in life, if you don't have a sense of belonging, you're in serious trouble. Mm. You're in serious trouble psychologically, physiologically, socially, probably predictively. Uh, your overall health, uh, probably your socioeconomic status, it's predictive of lots of stuff going bad. Of course, it's ultimately predictive of anxiety and depression, which by the way are flip sides of the same overall disorientation, disconnection problem. Um, it's predictive, of course, of suicide right? Although uh, Tatiana Schnell has found evidence that people don't have to go through clinical depression, contrary to what we think. They can just experience meaninglessness and go right to suicide without going through clinical depression. So just on its own, it's predictive too. So 80% of a population has this state that we have pretty comprehensive evidence is very deleterious to their health. And then you have a lot of sort of, Cultural sense that this is happening. Um, so, the book I did with Christopher Master Pietro and Philip Misovic on zombies why, why did zombies become so prevalent? And the, <laughs> the idea is zombies are uh, a, a myth gram that has arisen to sort of express, not necessarily articulate or explain, but express the meaning crisis. We'll think about them, right? They the, the lead by definition, meaningless lives. They've lost intelligibility. They can't speak. They move in collectivities, but they form no communities. They drift aimlessly. Unlike other monsters, they don't have any supernatural connection. They're just us decayed. Right, and perpetually decayed. They're a perversion of the Christian uh, myth of resurrection, because they do not come back to the fuller life, they come back to the lesser life. And then they got they got linked to another Christian myth, the apocalypse, which is supposed to be the renewal of the world, but instead it's the ongoing endless decadence of the world. So the zombie mythology is a cultural expression of this. And you can also see all kinds of symptoms.
0: So Smachtenberger starts talking about the meta-crisis, and John was talking about the meaning crisis, and I think he really nicely in this video sort of lays out the whole zombie thing, that zombies are sort of the monster of the meaning crisis. It's just fascinating and thriller how we have the sort of the wolf of the 50s. Now, again, the the werewolves of the 80s were looking back on the 50s, and, and sort of with a smile. But now in the in the 80s, you've got the zombies. And so the zombies come out. And of course, um, now, now Michael becomes a zombie, and Michael sort of keeps going back and forth. Now these are music videos, so they're more like dreams. So you, you can't really ask a lot of them in terms of a, a narrative that they're, they're, again, they're much more like dreams. They're just sort of playing with this imagery and evoking things. Now, going all the way back to where I started this video, why? I mean, these are these are massively, massively popular. These are, I mean, these are enormously popular in ways that that I don't think we really know. We don't really know how they shape us. We don't really know what they mean. Of course, you've got all the you've got the dancing. Um, and, and again, the it's so interesting because the the the, the Lindsey Sterling video is it's, it's 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 incredible. When you watch the two videos, it's like, oh, okay. Well, what's going on here? What are they expressing? What are they forming? How is this playing? Why is this so popular? Why do these particular things arise when they do? of course, for for Michael Jackson, for Michael Jackson, he's going to. You now she runs into this haunted house again. Now they're playing, of course, with fifties tropes, and he comes in and and I don't know if you another. I looked at my children and said, "Have you ever watched Night of the Living Dead?" And they're like, "No." They're like, oh, there's something. I failed them in their in their cultural literacy education. We'll have to play Night of the Living Dead one of these days, because um, of course, Night of the Living Dead was when horrors and then. Boom. Um, everything's okay. Back to the real world, and he'll take care of her, and everything will be fine. But then, of course, the, the last scene where, hmm, he's still, the wolf The wolf is still under there, and is the cat. Yeah. Now, of course, it's decades later for Michael Jackson. This is the 40th anniversary, and Michael will go on to live a strange and, in many ways, tortured life. He will, he'll have you know he'll have they touched on the the, the fire incident um, he'll get on painkillers um, the alopecia, the, the voice the I mean he just becomes a very strange person and then of course the mysterious circumstances surrounding his his youthful death it's that <laughs> the story is what it is. So then you then so then you look at Michael Jackson, you know, 952 million views, and my kids are like, "Oh, that's nothing," you know. Some of some of his videos are over a billion views, and you think, "Wow, wow, what is going on with this stuff?" And then to kind of sort sort of bring it full circle back around to these two, you know, they have a real point. In that now I've I've got plenty of uh, plenty to say about their their actually specific religious beliefs, but there are far bigger things that are moving the world. I've just started watching Jonathan Peugeot's. Um, just started watching Jonathan Peugeot's. End of the world videos and i'll have some things to say about that they're on daily wire um if you're deep into peugeot you're not going to find a lot of new there it's it's mostly sort of a um it's it's his i mean youtube Kind of the way this has grown up on YouTube, like my channel, it's it's haphazard. It's idiosyncratic. There's a little bit here, a little bit there. It's kind of hard to get into. In some ways, the Daily Wire treatment of Jonathan Peugeot is, well, here's here's a way to get into the thought of Jonathan Peugeot. Here's some nice episodes, professionally done, um, scripted out, edited, lots of interesting graphics, points enumerated, sort of nicely put together. And which isn't really what you get on YouTube. YouTube is much sort of much more sort of this authentic sharing in the process, working on these things as we go. But you know we are mysteries to ourselves. And, and the way that these spirits flow through our culture and the way that the poets, and the dancers and the musicians uh, um, express it um, and sort of weave things together is sort of the, the making of a culture. What strikes me about all of this is sort of the, beneath, beneath the conversations about the spirits is the longing question, about, okay, how do we relate to the spirits? Are we simply their victim? Are we powerless? And so, you know, when I, when I look at music, I see deeply spiritual power. The video that I released today, Love Songs to Jesus, I could tell in the comment section, you know, the tensions within that video and the comments the comments were the comments were so interesting on many levels. Some of course sort of pointing to the propositional. Well, well what about the songs and doctrine? And of course, the the, the golden age of English hymnody, where you get you get songs like um, Amazing Grace, where basically the church in England was evangelizing the nation through song. And they would pour theology through the songs. They would, in some ways, set theology to the music. And 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 Protestants have have used music in a deep way for a very long time. I made a comment in one of my videos about uh, pelvic thrusting on the stage of a megachurch, and someone sent me a video from this um, from this channel of. Now, North Point, Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley is the son of Charles Stanley. Now, Charles Stanley was one of the major preachers, he just recently died, one of the major preachers of of the last generation. My grandmother, the the Christian Reform minister's wife, my father's mother, I would visit her at college and she would be watching and she she'd be watching Charles Stanley on the television set. Charles Stanley was one of these Protestant preachers that sort of transcended denominational lines. Um, the A woman that goes to this church for years, she was the bulletin secretary of this church. She used to go on cruises with Charles Stanley. Charles Stanley would do these cruises and all these people would go and he would preach on these cruises and, and she went on a number of these cruises and eventually struck up and had a had a friendship with him. And Andy Stanley is his son. And Andy Stanley has had a very interesting career. What, what's interesting is how, okay, how, why are you doing Led Zeppelin? For a while in the 90s, there was a lot of megachurches sort of playing around with these kinds of things. And of course, the the Sunday service, the Atheist Sunday services tried to have music in their services as well. And they would play, you know, they would basically do covers of popular music, now, now again, this is a church, and um, they're doing they're doing Stairway to Heaven, and it's like a rock concert. Um, I, I also caught I also caught a video on this channel. So then on Mother's Day, it's sort of Ladies' Day, and so these women are singing and. You know, they're, they're sort of, again, they're doing sort of covers of popular songs. And now we're going to have our, I don't know who she is. She might be a woman preacher on staff at North Point because they'd, they'd have multiple staff. And um, she's probably giving a little message or a sermon or something. I don't know. I haven't listened to the video. You get the sense that either with playing we're playing with things we don't fully understand or we're being played with by forces we don't fully understand. And and that might drive some back to retreat, but I don't know that that's ever not been the case. As we're talking about the Enlightenment, part of what's so interesting about the Enlightenment is, in many ways, the Enlightenment was an attempt to get things under our control. And the attempt has completely failed. And, and that's sort of where we go with Jonathan Peugeot's series that you know, things, things are not by any means under our control. And, um yeah, religion is on one hand the perennial human attempt to gain control of the forces too large for them. But I would argue that Christianity is good news. I was going to pull up this this, this video from uh, DW on Africa, and someone said that it had already been taken down. I had mentioned it in a previous video. But of course, Christianity, the word is that good news has come, and being is good, the creator of the universe is good, and that um, he can be trusted. So, real jumble in this video. I know some of you really like the messy videos and others of you sort of send them out in horror. But, um, yeah, just the kind of things that are rolling around in my head right now with all the different mixes of memories of playing the violin, where music is going, the power of music in our culture, the power of religion, where music and religion sort of intersect, and the state of the conversation. So let me know what you think. Comments on this one are going to be interesting.